Welcome to Quantum Magazine's podcast. Each episode, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. Machines known as deep neural networks have learned to have conversations, drive cars, and even help make scientific discoveries. But they've also confounded their human creators. A new theory might help to explain how they work and help us learn more about how humans learn as well. Scientists never expected so-called deep learning algorithms that power artificial intelligence to work so well. No underlying principle has guided the design of these learning systems, other than vague inspiration drawn from the architecture of the brain, which still isn't fully understood itself. Like a brain, a deep neural network has layers of artificial neurons that are figments of computer memory. When a neuron fires, it sends signals to connected neurons in the layer above. During deep learning, connections in the network are strengthened or weakened as needed to make the system better at sending signals from input data. For instance, an artificial intelligence or AI system analyzing a photo of a dog might be able to sort out the pixels to associate it with the concept of a dog. After a deep neural network has learned from thousands of sample dog photos, it can identify dogs in new photos as accurately as we can. This magical leap from special cases to general concepts during learning gives deep neural networks their power. But experts wonder, what is it about deep learning that enables generalization? And to what extent do brains apprehend reality in the same way? Naftali Tishbi might have an answer. He's a computer scientist and neuroscientist from Hebrew University in Jerusalem. At a deep learning conference in Berlin last year, he presented evidence in support of a new theory explaining how deep learning works. Tishbi argues that deep neural networks learn through a procedure called the information bottleneck. The idea is that a network rids noisy input data of extraneous details by squeezing the information through a bottleneck. It then retains only the features most relevant to general concepts. Tishby and his student used new computer experiments to reveal how this squeezing procedure happens during deep learning. Tishby's findings have the AI community buzzing, including Alex Alemi of Google Research. He says the information bottleneck idea could be important in future deep neural network research. Alimi has already developed new methods for applying an information bottleneck analysis to large deep neural networks. He says the bottleneck could serve as a theoretical tool for understanding why our neural networks perform as well as they do. Alimi thinks the bottleneck could be used as a tool for constructing new architectures of networks. Some researchers remain skeptical that the theory fully accounts for the success of deep learning. But Kyle Cranmer, a particle physicist at New York University, is excited about the research. He uses machine learning to analyze particle collisions at the Large Hadron Collider. He says what Tishby showed with the bottleneck theory somehow smells right. Tishby views the information bottleneck as a fundamental principle behind learning. He says the most important part of learning is actually forgetting. Jeffrey Hinton is a pioneer of deep learning who works at Google and the University of Toronto. He emailed Tishby after watching his Berlin talk on the internet. 
Hinton wrote that it's extremely interesting, and he would have to listen to it another 10,000 times to really understand it. Hinton called it a really original idea that may be the answer to a really major puzzle. Tishby began contemplating the information bottleneck around the time that other researchers were first mulling over deep neural networks. It was the 1980s. At that point, neither concept had been named. Tishby was thinking about how good humans are at speech recognition, a major challenge for AI at the time. As humans, we unscramble mumbling, figure out tone, and decipher accents. Tishby narrowed it down to a basic question. When we face a sea of data that is reality, which signals do we keep? He says the idea of relevant information has always been around in history, but was never formulated correctly. Tishby says for years, people thought information theory wasn't the right way to think about relevance. Information theory goes back to its founder, Claude Shannon. Starting in the 1940s, he basically liberated the study of information by allowing it to be considered in the abstract. Think ones and zeros with purely mathematical meaning. Shannon took the view that information isn't about semantics, but Tishby argues that's not true. He says using information theory, you can define relevant in what he calls a precise sense. Imagine X is a complex data set, like the pixels of a dog photo. Y is a simpler variable represented by those data, like the word dog. You can capture all the relevant information in X about Y by compressing X as much as you can without losing the ability to predict Y. In their 1999 paper, Tishby and his co-authors formulated this as a mathematical optimization problem. It was a fundamental idea with no killer application. Enter deep neural networks. The concept had been kicked around for decades, but their performance in tasks like speech and image recognition only took off in the early 2010s. That's thanks to improved training regimens and more powerful computer processors. Tishby recognized their potential connection to the information bottleneck principle in 2014 after reading a paper by the physicists David Schwab and Pankaj Mehta. The duo focused on a deep learning algorithm known as the Deep Belief Net. They found when they applied it to a model of a magnet, it worked exactly like renormalization. That's a technique used in physics to zoom out on a physical system by using information about its smaller details to create an overall wider picture. Schwab and Meta applied the deep belief net to a model of a magnet at its critical point, where the system is fractal or self-similar at every scale. They found that the network automatically used the renormalization-like procedure to discover the model state. It was an indication that extracting relevant features in physics and in deep learning aren't just similar, they're the same. The discovery was stunning. The only problem is, as particle physicist Kyle Cranmer points out, the real world isn't fractal. You know, the natural world is not like years on years on years on years, you know. <laughs> it's like on eyeballs, on faces, on people, on scenes, you know. It doesn't actually have this self-similar property. At least most natural images don't look like that. Cranmer says there's a very clear mathematical connection, but he wouldn't say the renormalization procedure is why deep learning on natural images is working so well. But Tishby realized that both deep learning and the coarse-graining procedure could be encompassed by a broader idea. 
In 2015, he and his student hypothesized that deep learning is an information bottleneck procedure that compresses noisy data as much as possible while preserving information about what the data represent. Tishby and his colleagues' new experiments with deep neural networks reveal how the bottleneck procedure actually plays out. In one case, the researchers used small networks that could be trained to label input data with a 1 or 0. Going back to our photo example, think dog or no dog. They gave their 282 neural connections random initial strengths. Then they tracked what happened as the networks engaged in deep learning with 3,000 sample input data sets. Each time the training data are fed into the network, a cascade of firing activity sweeps upward through the layers of artificial neurons. When the signal reaches the top layer, the final firing pattern can be compared to the correct label for the image, 1 or 0, dog or no dog. Any differences between this firing pattern and the correct pattern are back-propagated down the layers. The algorithm strengthens or weakens each connection to make the network layer better at producing the correct output signal. It's like a teacher correcting an exam. Over the course of training, the network becomes expert at correctly labeling the data, whether it's recognizing a dog, a word, or a one. In their experiments, Tishby's team found the networks converged to the information bottleneck theoretical bound, a theoretical limit. At that point, the network had compressed the input as much as possible without sacrificing the ability to accurately predict its label. The research team also found that deep learning proceeds in two phases. There's a short, fitting phase during which the network learns to label its training data. This is similar to memorization. And then there's a longer compression phase during which the network becomes good at generalization. During this phase, the network starts to keep track of only the strongest features in the input data. For example, some photos of dogs might have houses in the background, while others don't. As a network cycles through these training photos, it might forget the correlation between houses and dogs in some photos as other photos counteract it. It's this forgetting of specifics that Tishby and his team say enables the system to form general concepts. Their experiments revealed that deep neural networks ramp up their generalization performance during the compression phase, becoming better at labeling test data. It remains to be seen whether the information bottleneck governs all deep learning regimes, or whether there are other routes to generalization besides compression. Some AI experts see Tishby's idea as one of many important theoretical insights about deep learning to have emerged recently. Andrew Sachs is an AI researcher and theoretical neuroscientist at Harvard. He says certain very large deep neural networks don't seem to need a drawn-out compression phase in order to generalize well. Instead, researchers program in something called early stopping, which cuts training short to prevent the network from encoding too many correlations in the first place. Tishby argues that the network models analyzed by Sachs and his colleagues differ from standard deep neural network architectures. Still, Tishby says the information bottleneck, theoretical bound, defines these networks' generalization performance better than other models. Tishby's latest research partly addresses questions about whether the bottleneck holds up for larger neural networks. 
The scientists trained much larger neural networks to recognize handwritten digits and saw the same convergence of the networks to the information bottleneck theoretical bound. They also observed the two distinct phases of deep learning, separated by an even sharper transition than in smaller networks. Tishby says he's convinced now that this is a general phenomenon. Brendan Lake is an assistant professor of psychology and data science at New York University who studies similarities and differences in how humans and machines learn. He calls Tishby's research an interesting framework for understanding what deep neural networks are doing as they improve on a task. It could lead to new learning algorithms that take advantage of these insights. And it's an important step towards opening the black box A human black box that's much larger than any computer. Our adult brains have several hundred trillion connections between 86 billion neurons. But I I guess I don't see a lot of parallels between the way the network develops and how, say, a child develops over the course of learning. For instance, Lake says the fitting and compression phases that Tishby identified don't mirror the way children learn handwritten characters. Children don't need to see thousands of examples of a character and compress their mental representation over an extended period of time before they're able to recognize that letter and write it themselves. They can learn from a single example. Lake and his colleagues' model suggests the brain may build on strokes it already knows to learn the new letter. If I showed you a letter of an unfamiliar alphabet, like Sanskrit, and you just saw a single image of it, you'd be able to recognize other instances of that letter. You might be able to draw your own version of that letter. You could think up other letters that are in the same family of letters as that letter. Lake says how the human brain works is different than standard machinery algorithms. So rather than teaching computers that a letter is just a pattern of pixels and learning how to map those features, Lake is trying to build a causal model of the letter In short, a shorter path to generalization. Such brainy ideas might hold lessons for the AI community, furthering the back and forth between the two fields. Tishby believes his information bottleneck theory will ultimately prove useful in both disciplines, even if it takes a more general form in human learning than in AI. One immediate insight that can be gleaned from the theory is a better understanding of which kinds of problems can be solved by real and artificial neural networks. Tishby says the theory gives a complete characterization of the problems that can be learned. These include natural vision problems and speech recognition, problems our human brain can cope with. Meanwhile, both real and artificial neural networks stumble on problems in which every detail matters and minute differences can throw off the whole result. When we squeeze information through the information bottleneck, we leave some details behind. Quick, what's 977 times 578? Didn't get the answer right away? Most people can't quickly multiply two large numbers in their heads. Our brains aren't great for doing algebra on the fly. But that's not our brain's main business. Tishby says that same information bottleneck means deep learning probably won't ever help break cryptographic codes. In a way, that's probably a good thing.
Michelle Yoon helped produce this episode. I'm Susan Vallett. For more on this story, read Natalie Wolchover's full article, New Theory Cracks Open the Black Box of Deep Learning, on our website, quantamagazine.org.